Are you ready for some nosy bitches? Because this is about to get explicit. Hey, bitches. Hey, friends. Hey, Carla. Michael. Happy 2024. Oh, my gosh. Can you believe? No. It's just a weird, surreal thing. I'm excited for this year, but it feels like there's lots of weird stuff in the ether, too. And I just, I don't know. I'm trying to be optimistic about 2024, Carla. (laughs) Yeah, I think the last couple of years have, you know, tricked us into thinking, like, you know, those... Those of us in January of 2020 were like, this is about to be the best year ever. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, <laughs> you're so right. And then it tricked us for like three years. It sure it sure did. I, I feel like I have minor and I'm not making fun of the like this for people that actually have PTSD, but I have like a little bit of post-traumatic oh. stress going on from COVID. And it's it's almost harder now that everything's back to normal so suddenly and everyone's just like yeah like you're just supposed to go back to normal life and it's like do you understand what we're all going to work again with the flu and bringing our sickness and like there's no like oh my gosh your sneeze stay at home no come on bring bring it that's right it is weird i definitely did did you do new year's resolutions this year i so i never do major ones i like i don't do big promises i try to do minor ones but what do you do like do you do any kind of like the same you know, bad bitch energy that I brought in 2023. (laughs) I am bringing it again. I am who I am. The only thing that I am trying to minimize my alcohol intake, like really put some structure around it. I guess sometimes get a little loose about it. Yeah. And definitely wanting to like work out more and be a little healthier for that piece of it. But honestly, other than that, I plan on being the same bitch I was in 2023. It's I, I find this interesting and I can't wait until I get a little bit older still, right? But I think like the older I get, the more that's how I feel. Like I don't I'm I'm happy with this dude at 37. Yeah. I don't need him to change a bunch. I want to nudge him in the right direction. I want to make sure directionally he is still like doing his thing. Speaking of. And somebody oh, no. somebody just had a big birthday. I did. I just well, not a big one. It's I know, thir- but 37. Still I'm 37. Listen, right? If you're not living, you're dying. That's right. So we have I to appreciate it. every single year. It's it's just a weird thing. Like in some ways, 37 feels exactly like 36. Like they feel identical. I don't know if when I go back in the the recesses of my memory, if I'm going to be able to like tell the difference between my 36th and my 37th birthday. But I do feel like with each year, there's a little bit more in your later 30s, especially like some self-assuredness. I know who I am. I'm happy with that guy. I also am very aware, like almost painfully so, of all of my idiosyncrasies and all the pieces of me that maybe aren't the best, but I'm okay with those too. Like there's no change in me at this point. We've gone almost 40 years with this. That's right. It is what it is. We are fully developed into ourselves. Uh, I do feel like every, you know, as you get older, you start thinking like these these are really my best years. I felt, I felt that way about my 30s. I'm like, these are yeah. my best years ever. I'm settling into... We've talked a lot about it. Life, like you're rocking your. 40s. I have like a lot of yeah. you know changes. My kids are getting older, and I'm figuring out this work, like new like, yeah, yeah figuring out this new Carla, like who she is, and like what is she about, and I'm okay with it. I'm fig- like even cr- Christmas, you know, it's been a little bit. So yeah, um, I remember as the kids got older, I got sadder and sadder about Christmas because it just doesn't feel the same as it did when they were little. And now Christmas is so different, and it's okay. Like. I think this year, probably for the most part, really felt like Christmas with grown-up children and 
we could sit around and have fun and you know it was just different but it's it's good we're starting to settle into this new normal and I'm here for it so holidays were great it was good to have time off like good to just do nothing you know I've been reading a ton lately I've probably been through almost 15 books but I'm enjoying it it's it's my new thing right now and it's kind of I've always been a reader but I have kind of slacked on it over the years I'm really enjoying this new space. How was your holidays? Really good. So similar in that it's just a little quieter. We never had kids to start with, right? So I'm not used to all that hustle and bustle. But I definitely grew up in a bigger family where it was kind of the expectation that the holidays you were jumping from one house to the next. And my adult holidays of late don't really look like that. Like we always say if people want to come here, like come visit us, we have a bed and the space, but we also have a million critters. It's really hard for us to leave without hiring a pet. So quiet this year, it actually was completely fine. I was cool with it. I like it. I like it a little bit more mellow. Holidays were always such a stressful thing, right? especially coming from a broken family. So when your family's fighting over you, like who you're visiting for what portion of the holidays, like you'll have him the three days before Thanksgiving and on Thanksgiving Day. And then the day after, I shall have him as if I was some object to be tossed out. The holidays now feel a little bit more at peace, and that felt really good. As far as New Year's resolutions, I think similar to you. Like it's, I just want to refine some stuff. I definitely can be a bit into my wine if I'm not conscious. So like always trying to just make sure I'm being mindful of that. It's so good to be back with everyone. And you've yeah. got an amazing case for us today. This I, one I think is the perfect. We always, you and I talk about we're the intersection of pop culture and true crime. This is such a perfect, like the epitome of that. It's so funny how like sometimes stories, we we know them, like we're very familiar with them. There was a, a movie not long about this and and then I just kind of forget about it. And so like as we've talked about like true crime, on, honestly, like the Selena thing, like when all of a sudden yeah. I text you one night and was like, why haven't we done Selena? Like that would be a, a perfect story for our podcast to cover. This is also one that I'm like, why did, why wasn't this not one of our first 10 that we did? Because it's so perfectly us. I do feel like we kind of fit into this like 90s genre yeah, to you. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> and this is 100%. The 90s were very formative years for both of us. Yeah. So, you know. I am here for all the 90s drama. <laughs> um, this story is as 90s as Saved by the Bell and 90210. Uh, so anyone 20 years or older has probably heard of Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan. Oh, my God. But as the years pass, the details do get fuzzy and people forget what actually happened. I actually asked my son the other night like hey do you remember this situation and he did but the details were super fuzzy obviously he wasn't anywhere around at that time but what he had heard was completely different than what actually happened so a lot of people when they think about nancy kerrigan and tanya harding they think i almost think i think a lot more happened than what actually occurred and not to minimize what actually occurred but it isn't like as bad as it could have been That was my memory when you were telling Thomas and I that you were wanting to do this. I think both of our recollection of it was that there was just, without spoiling it until we get there, that there was just more to it, that more happened. Yes. Whether you know this story like the back of your hand or like most of us, the the details have gotten a little fuzzy, we are going to cover it all. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Let's. Are you ready in. now? <laughs> Let's do I'm it. Ready. Especially after that Britney episode, like I'm, yeah. I'm so ready to between every 
episode cut. Be like, are you ready? Oh, you're ready. All right. So to start this, let's talk about how we get there. So Tanya Harding was born November 12th, 1970 to Lavanya and Al Harding in Portland, Oregon. On her mother's side, she was child number five from husband number four. Tanya grew up in a blue-collared household with parents who really didn't have a lot of money. Her dad held lots of different jobs but was often unemployed due to health issues. Her mother, Lavanya, often waitressed and was said to be extremely tough on Tanya, even at a very young age. Tanya fell in love with skating. She was only three years old, and she was on the ice. I can't even imagine a three-year-old. I mean, barely walking, let alone ice skating. She really just had incredible talent, such a young age. People would say that Tanya's love for skating, that that's what kept her motivated. But family members who witnessed it would actually say that it was Lavanya, her mother, her intense pressure that she began pushing on Tanya, that that is what kept Tanya motivated and kept her skating at such a young age. Even though skating is an incredibly expensive sport and Tanya's family obviously struggled financially, they began to get Tanya lessons with Diane Rawling. So Diane is a former Ice Capades soloist, and she married a very prominent Oregon attorney. And over the years, people would talk about how horrible Tanya's mother, Lavanya, was to her. They would talk about how awful she would talk to her daughter, calling her scum, a bitch, stupid. Nothing was ever good enough. Um, There's actually a pretty infamous story of her mother spanking her with a hairbrush in front of everyone. And this Levon, gives like bad dance mom yeah, vibes. You know, this is the other thing is there's there's a lot of opinions, especially these days. Let's let's take it back that this is like still the 70s. And not that spanking your kid is good or bad, right? But I think that spanking your child in front of everyone there with a hairbrush probably says that this isn't the first time. Her mother would swear later, like, oh, that was the only time I ever hit Tanya, everyone is like, hey, we literally watched you like whack-a-mole your daughter. Plus, the other thing is like, you just don't say bitch and scum and things like that to your child, period. Like not even to your teenager do you say things like that when they are infuriating you. I think for me, the spanking thing in public is more like if you're – if you are willing to be that physical with your child that readily in public – I'm not saying I'm right, but it makes me stop and wonder, what are you willing to do to them in private? Uh, Oh, absolutely. Maybe that's judgy, but that's how I feel. Yeah, and Tanya's version of the story is that like she hit her all the time with anything that she could get her hands on. And there's definitely a theme. So completely counter like what the mom said. There's definitely a theme between Lavanya and Tanya. Lavanya has one set of history of how things occurred, and Tanya has one set. And I will say that, like, I think probably 80% of the truth lies on Tanya's side. I do think that Tanya wants to come off very sympathetic. But also Tanya wants people to understand that her life was not easy. Yeah. Like, it wasn't just that they were poor. It wasn't just that they were blue collar. It's that, honestly, it came from a broken home. Yeah. She just wasn't loved from this mother. She was pushed very intensely. And you can imagine, I think that it's about some of these athletes, especially about the Olympics and probably throughout this whole episode, I'll talk about it, but there is some type of like loss of childhood throughout this piece of it because you're competing at adult levels, sometimes against adults. And and whether that's good or bad, I'm not here to necessarily judge that, but you have to imagine that she did lose a piece of that 
and whether that was motivated in the beginning by her mom and then maybe later on motivated by her to get out of the situation she's in. We mentioned this really briefly in the Britney episode, but I brought up Dominique Mucciano, who was a really famous yes. gymnast um, also in the 90s. And she came up because it wasn't a conservatorship like with Britney, but it was her parents basically trying to embezzle like Dominique's money. Like at that, it's more than just you're competing against adults. It's you're starting to go into this world where you're getting paid real money. You're getting paid the kind of money where if you're a kid, all of a sudden it could make your entire family's issues go away. Right. And because your parents are still raising you like i think it's a fuzzy line like i don't know that i always look at a macaulay colkin or a dominique mucciano and automatically assume that the parents started from this place of trying to do something bad i think it's a fuzzy line it's like well we're supporting them we you know sent them into practice we buy all their gear we take them to and fro competitions like all of that stuff you don't always think of it as like i'm stealing from my kid but then at some point it goes down this slippery slope and i think it it puts these Kids pick up on it. I think the kids pick up on the idea that, like, I am as a child supporting my entire family. That right. pressure, kids aren't meant to have that pressure. Right. <laughs> that's a lot not. of it. That's a lot of pressure for an adult. It is. And I think that while in Lavanya's case, she's like, oh, that's the only time I hit Tanya. There's also other stories that they said that, she, like, people recounted that she wouldn't let Tanya off the ice, even to go to the bathroom, and that Tanya had many accidents on the ice where she's peeing. On herself, and to, to see me, that's abuse. Yeah, that, that's right there. Sorry. Yeah, that's that just as bad as hitting. That's awful. Yeah, um, one of her friends that skated back with her said she was Lavanya was literally a mother from hell. That she was just awful and made people very uncomfortable. And I can imagine her as her skating coach, how like what a predicament that put her in. Yeah. Because here's this child that you're probably in a way trying to protect and also trying to make really successful, and you have to deal with this horrible parent of yeah. theirs. So Tanya's home life continued to be hard. They moved eight times while she was young. Her mom or Tanya often had to make her costumes in order to compete because they couldn't afford new ones. Ice skating is a very expensive sport for all of the reasons, for the coaches, for the time on the rink. But a lot of the money that was spent and is spent in this sport has more to do with actually what they're wearing. Yeah, That's kind of crazy to me for all the reasons. I'll leave it there. That's actually something that Lavanya says. I wasn't a bad mom. I, I made all of her costumes. I don't know that that, I don't know that, that <laughs> you can forgive all of the things, but, you know, here we go. While her mother and her had a very tumultuous relationship, on the opposite side, Tanya and her dad were very close. He taught her how to hunt, how to fix cars. He really spent quality time with her, and that's really clearly something that Tanya was craving from this man who also had a tumultuous relationship with her mother. And I think that dynamic, too, probably made the mother-daughter scenario even worse. Diane Rawlson and Tanya, they were a great match. She truly did feel for Tanya and really almost began to have kind of this maternal relationship for her. I can't imagine what Tanya's life at that time would have been like if she would not have had such a caring and loving coach. So her and especially her husband- Especially since she didn't have that from yeah, Lasagna. Especially too that Diane was wealthy because she was married to that very affluent, and you know, or her herself had been successful, but she was married to a very wealthy attorney. They would even offer to pay for new boots, for plane tickets, or other things that she might have needed. 
at least in that way, like Tanya was being taken care of both emotionally and, and really at, at like a parental level. The other big thing about being the poor kid in an expensive sport meant that she really couldn't afford extra private lessons or fancy equipment. But truly, what she lacked in finances, she really made up in talent. And I'm talking about pure talent that she really did hone and practice every day, wherever the original motivation came from, whether it was her mom or whether she truly was just born with that innate motivation, she had raw talent that you couldn't buy. Or, and that is very special. She was able to land the triple spin by nine years old, which is crazy. When she was 16, her parents eventually divorced, which is probably good. Unfortunately, though, Tanya was forced to live with her mother. And I think that happened a lot. Think about like the 80s and the 70s and really even the early 90s. The parental rights went immediately to the mother. And a lot of times the father felt like they couldn't take the child from that situation. So she had to continue to stay with Lavanya. And obviously that kind of added to her, I mean, really just her mental health. So she quit school. And so how oh, old? No, no, no. Just I'm trying to like make sure I'm on timeline. So what? how old was Tanya when Lavanya and her dad? 16. 16. Okay. So it was only a couple more years, but it's still like probably her most formative and leading up to what we know was were big highlights in her skating career. So just, yeah, that sucks that it's like. And I think this uh, lays the stage for what happens in Tanya's future. I think so too. I, I didn't realize there was that much tumultuity. Not long after her parents' divorce, she quits school and starts to pursue skating on a full-time basis. Now, the other thing is, too, which is very scary, like no matter what have happened in the story, it would have been scary for any athletic person to put everything on the line for their sport. She was like, I'm going to do this full-time. During this time, she started to place at the top of big skating competitions that were really starting to get her noticed. In 1986... She got sixth at the U.S. Figure Skating Championships. In 1987 and 1988, she gets fifth. In 1989, she gets third. Wow. So she does switch coaches in 1989. And then in 1991, she completes her first triple axel in competition February 16th. She was the first American woman in competition to land that move. Wow. She ended up getting first place and scored a 6.0 score. At the world competition in 1991, she would once again complete the triple axel and she would lose the gold to Christy Yamaguchi. Oh, yeah. And she would get second. So who got third? That would be enter Nancy Kerrigan. Nancy Kerrigan. And this was the like momentous winning for the U.S. and making history the U.S. would take all three places. Christy Yamaguchi, Tanya Harding, and Nancy, Nancy Kerrigan. Kerrigan. Go girl power. That thing that she did, that triple axel, for her to be so young, to have landed it, in, to be the first you know, American woman, it wasn't just that she was the first American woman. There was not a lot of women who were doing this at all. There was like a handful yeah. of people who had done this in any country in a competitive setting. So, And it's the things Between that happen after. Tanya. Yeah. This is what happened. Because Christy never got into all of that. No, and she was really young, too. Yeah, she was. Um, I I don't have her age year, but she was in her teens at that point. Um, So she was pretty young. And so Nancy and Tanya start to get pitted against each other. So we'll talk a little bit about what happens there. But first, let me tell you some background about Nancy Kerrigan, because she has her own story. And I'll tell you, I didn't know this about Nancy. So in my mind, Nancy is your typical 
like U.S. figure skater, right? That she's rich. She's very poised. Everything about her, honestly, like screams 90s U.S. figure. But that's actually not accurate. She actually was not wealthy. She also came from a blue-collar family. Nancy Kerrigan was born on October 13th in Woburn, Massachusetts. Like Tanya, she also grew up in a middle-class family with her parents, Daniel and Brenda Kerrigan, and three older brothers. So while Tanya's family life was very volatile, Nancy's was the complete opposite. She had a very loving and supportive family. She lived two houses down from her grandparents, and money was tight, and they did have to pinch pennies to make things meet, but they were very loving and very supportive. Yeah. And that, that tells you, right, here are two, two children kind of bred from the same type of economic, and one was nurtured and one wasn't. That's right. Nancy also started very young. She began skating at six years old, and she was very successful. So at 1987, at the U.S. Figure Championship, she placed fourth. At 1988, at the senior debut level, she got 12th. In 1989, she placed fifth. Of course, in 1991, along with Tanya Harding, she placed third and got the bronze. In 1992, she went to the Winter Olympics and earned the silver medal. Christy Yamaguchi took the the gold, but Christy actually retired that year. Yeah. So that would make Nancy now the U.S. championship. And it's weird that even though at that point, Nancy and Tanya start to get pitted against each other, they actually, like, they don't remember actively being part of that. Like, that kind of was a media thing or maybe even just a perception thing. But that's not really how the two of them felt. Like, they weren't actually, like, natural. It wasn't like Monica and Brandy, right? Yeah. It wasn't Christina and Brittany. (laughs) They just, that's how kind of the media pitted And they were different. Tanya had blonde, frizzy hair. Nancy had brown, beautifully placed hair. Tanya was considered rough around the edges. Nancy was considered poised and determined. Tanya played music like ACDC and rock and roll rather than Mozart or very like customary classic music. And after this success in 1991, where actually Tanya had done better than Nancy, but then of course Nancy went on in 1992, and did better, but she started to get big sponsorships, even leading into 1992 with like Campbell Soup, Evian Water, Reebok. This was Nancy or Nancy? Tanya? Yeah, and Tanya, she was the less edgy, right. kind of the more digestible figure. Tanya got nothing. Yeah, no sponsorships. So that is how. It's so funny because it would be reversed today. Like the more yes. edgy person would be the one getting it more. But I, I completely feel that that back then, and especially in a sport that can be as kind of like old world as skating can be like I yeah so here and you can see (laughs) this like you can see this portrayed that here's this one person who is now getting special quote quote unquote special treatment yeah and she's not getting anything yeah she's already lived this life where she feels very defensive she does have kind of a chip on her shoulder she doesn't have family support like Nancy does and she just felt like things were very unfair And you could see that, like, the resentment is starting to build. The little green-eyed monster, the jealousy, those types of things. And it's not that Nancy did anything. You know, there's there's no real something happened or there was an argument or they had a falling out. It was just that she felt like Nancy was being treated better than her. And she couldn't understand why she wasn't getting the same stuff. Sure. And it was very triggering for her. You hit on this earlier. The difference between 
someone that is like nurtured and supported by their family and has therefore some of the like internal resources to deal with whatever negative press was being thrown their way. Because I'm not sure that if we looked back that 100% of the coverage around Nancy Kerrigan was glowing. But even when that bad stuff comes in, if you've got a good support system at home and people that are your fans no matter what, then I think it lands differently. Tanya didn't have that. Like right. She's having to deal with you know, a not very supportive mom through all of this, has had some hard knocks. I just, I, it probably lands different. I'm not saying that that makes it okay, just it lands different. Yeah, and I can, I mean, definitely like hearing about this story and hearing about some of the things as an adult, even even years ago when I heard about it, yeah, it did make me feel for her because she didn't feel loved yeah. and then she didn't feel liked. That's, yeah. And she couldn't understand it. She's like, why don't you like me? Like, what yeah. have I done? And I- Besides be myself, and like doing remember, the very best with what I've got. Yeah. yeah, I can remember a very immature Carla who probably didn't have like the- the skills that I have today, who was very concerned with not being liked. Yeah. And so like there is a part of me that like hmm, wants to get on the Tanya Harding train, right? But it it wasn't even that. Like there's really – there should be no train to get on. Yeah. So I, I can't understand some of her feelings and really just not feeling like she was good enough in any situation. Not good, not feeling good enough at home. Not feeling good enough for the world even though she was skating her her ass off. But I, that's another difference too, though. That kind of is making the point that if you had a good support system at home, if you had parents that were doing what what we all hope good parents were doing, they would be seeing that happen and be like, right. okay, let's come back down to earth, Tanya. Like you've got it all right. You're doing all this stuff. Like you're an amazing skater. Like there would have been someone to, to reground those thoughts. But she clearly didn't have that support at home. And that just sucks. No, and not even that too, but like someone who could really like edge her and help, maybe even help her get those sponsorships That's or right. like, you know, just be that guiding piece of it. She had switched coaches, so she wasn't under Diane anymore. Yeah. So even like that maternal relationship that she had had beginning. So I, I do start this story off kind of feeling a little bit like soft on Tanya for the way that she feels. And obviously I have no feelings against Nancy. I didn't monetarily, we didn't have a lot growing up. Yeah. But I had a very loving family that I'm very thankful for. And I remember somebody one time telling me like, oh, you're perfect. You have the perfect family. And I was like, well, I'm very far from perfect, but thank you. Yeah. But I do have a good family. And I think it it sometimes takes that like I would trade all the treasure in the world to have like that stability because there was other things in my life. And I can't imagine what I would be like if I didn't have that stability. It is an interesting dynamic. So back to Tanya, a little bit before this last, before the competition starts to heat up between the two of them, Tanya marries Jeff Galuli. And this union could be described as young, dumb love, both hot and cold, like <laughs> most relationships in Tanya's life, because, you know, she's been given these great examples of what a, a relationship yeah, should look she, like. She's seen so many examples. <laughs> yeah. This is abusive. And he would hit Tanya and then say, we're sorry. And then he'd hit her again. And then he would say, we're sorry. And they would break up and get get be- get back together like many times. Um, of course, though, Jeff, he denies any abuse ever happening. Um, but interesting enough, though, future relationships that he would be in, they would also hint towards abuse and That's things like so that. so strange. I'm shocked, Carl. Crazy. I don't know if you ever saw that movie, Riding in Cars with Boys, mm-hmm. and the guy that like Drew Barrymore, her character, ends up with. Yeah. He's a goober. Yeah. Like a moron goober. This is kind of what Jeff reminds me of. And if you guys have seen the movie, I, Tanya, that's like, a, that's definitely how he's portrayed. He definitely wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed. He was a goober and many truly believed like he was there to live off of Tanya's success. Because like while 
Tanya was kind of down in the pits and obviously she wasn't getting these big sponsorships. She was still skating, winning second in U.S. figure skates and going up to the Olympics. She was still big time. Yeah. And here was this goober who comes along and marries her. Of course, he was probably trying to live off of her success. I don't see any other scenario where that that doesn't make sense. He might have been, we may not have known it. Perhaps he was an amazing conversationalist. Yes. He might have been amazing in bed, Carla. There are so many different I ways. I mean, you, you probably are right. I'm just saying. Yeah. So, and other people that knew him, though, they did say that he, they believed that he really did love her, even if that love was misguided and flawed. I don't discredit that. I, I think he probably did love her. It was a very flawed relationship, and, and a lot of that probably could have to do with the fact that they were, like, 19. Also that one was a celebrity and one wasn't. Like, right. I know that in lots of celebrity – like, when you look at some of the celebrity relationships that actually work, it's when they're not with another celebrity. <laughs> I cannot imagine when you are performing and competing at that level, the average colleague that you run into is another professional olympian right <laughs> that's not normal that's not real life I, I wonder if there was some of that even just like i can go back to a normal husband sort of feel and i'll tell you let me tell you one of the things that i really like about this case this story is that jeff is not all good nor is he all bad we all need a good anti-hero right like, yeah man and also like most fucked up love relationships right they are not bad I think sometimes people like think that bad people or abusive people are abusive 100% of the time. No. No, they're not because they'd never be in a fucking relationship. That's right. But just he was very supportive in ways that Tanya's mom never was. Yeah. And I think that those are the moments that Tanya probably loved him the most. And when they argued. And also, I'll just I'll just throw it out there. Tanya probably threw a few punches as well. I, I just from the persona that was reflected – I wouldn't be surprised either. Right. She, I don't know if that's right or wrong. Well, she but. had a fiery temper. <clears throat> she did. She was very, very, very passionate. I can say that, like, she probably got a few on him as well. Yeah. Not to say that, like, that's, you know, good, bad, or otherwise. But I, I guarantee that this relationship was both loving and horribly toxic at the same time. And guys and gals, I hate to tell you, but that is very true for most people like in relationships, I see that happening all the time and they're like, oh, you know, but then he does this. And I'm like, yeah, but he, he you know, he still did something bad. That's right. It doesn't negate it. Um, and so it is a very real life type of relationship. Not all good, not all bad. While they're breaking up and getting back together and breaking up and getting back together, she even did try to divorce him a few times. And of course, they always did get back together. But they actually did divorce in 1993 fully. But then they got back together. Wait, what? So during the 1992 Olympics, Tanya got fourth. She was smoking. She had put on weight. And she generally just wasn't treating her body the way that she needed to in order to compete in the Olympics. I love that she still got fourth out of that, though. Like, yes. I'm eating whatever I want. I'm smoking a pack a day. I'm not sleeping. I'm getting beaten by my husband. But damn it, I'm going to be fourth in the world. <laughs> when you talk about the anti-hero, like, you, when you talk about the anti-figure skater, smoking, drinking, she had put on weight, which, which, to be honest, probably wasn't much. But, you know, smoking, drinking, yeah. not eating great. She didn't – she wasn't making a lot of money. She was waitressing on the side. So she was – I mean, again, she was still poor. Yeah. Because – well, you don't make money until you win. And even some of those winnings 
like aren't a lot like you're really waiting for those sponsorships right, that are all that, going to Nancy. To Nancy, <laughs> right. So she wasn't getting any of that yeah. those pieces of it. Um and so, you know, again, she got fourth. So during this time period, the Olympic Committee decided that the Winter Olympics would be in 2 years rather than 4. So in preparation for the 1994 oh, Olympics, yeah. Tanya went back to Diane Rowling. I did, also didn't know this was a thing. I had forgotten about it, but I guess at one point in time it was you would go four all years. Four of them. That's right. Yeah. Until they decided we wanted to do it every two. So winter, then summer, winter, then summer. I bet there was a money decision. Oh, I was going to, I bet NBC got Universal paid. got some. Yeah. <laughs> had something to do with that. But you know, Tanya, she's, she's like, you know what? I'm going to put my head back in the game. I've got two years. I've got to get this figured out. So she goes back to Diane Rowling. She begins working out. She recommits herself to skating. Tanya and Nancy were both competing against each other for the spot on the Olympic team. So Tanya, again, the hard-edged, talented skater. And Nancy had been coined America's sweetheart. I remember. Again, you know, like one more little knife in Tanya's back. So on January 6, 1994, at the Cabo Arena in Detroit, Kerrigan and Tanya were at a practice arena. Tanya was asleep in her hotel room. Nancy had just got done with her practice show and was walking into the hallway outside of the rink. Her coaches, just right behind her, had stopped to speak to someone, and Nancy enters the hallway right by herself. So, you know, myth number one that, like, this was at a show. It wasn't. It was this at the was practice the arena. Oh, practice arena. Sorry. Yeah, it's at the practice arena. Tanya is actually not even at the building. She is at the hotel asleep. Okay. So... Nancy enters the hallway by herself. Seconds later, and there are cameras there that had been videotaping the practice that was happening, and they heard blood curling, screaming, and Nancy down on the floor clutching her leg. It is an unreal scene. She's crying. She's clearly in pain. Of course, the cameras panned on her. They're all freaking out. They're trying to figure out, like, what in the hell had just happened? It seems that someone had hit her in the knee with a foldable baton. So all these years, for even though I've watched movies, documentaries, all of the until I went to research this, all of these years, I thought they had shattered her leg. Yeah. But actually it was just a major bone bruise. Obviously So it didn't even break. There was no fracture. No, there, there was, was no, no fracture, no nothing. And I'm not to, not to take away no, that no, no, that's no, of extremely course. For an athlete that's yeah, and in some ways maybe even and it was worse. her landing leg. Yeah. So a, a major bone bruise is not good, but no, no shatter, no like torn ACL, no nothing. Nothing in my brain that I thought had happened. Because in my mind, I remember like knee was ruined. Right. Like right. that's what we I never, remember. It's just knee, knee right, was knee was ruined. ruined. Yes. It would because it was her landing leg and it was this major bone bruise, it really was undetermined at that moment, like how long she would be down for. And again, her and Tanya are vying for this spot on the Olympic team. She's just weeks away from it. And they're not sure that she'll be able to skate in order to compete for her spot. Yeah. And then even if she could could she then skate in the Olympics? Because you just don't know how long that could take to And what heal. if there's a setback? Like, what if it does better for a while and then you re-injure it? Like, there's just a lot more risk. Right. And she, and she hadn't competed. She had only practiced. That's right. So the whole skating community really at that point become like high on alert. They have no idea what happened. They think some maniac is on the prowl looking for these athletes to hurt them. The whole skating community was on high alert and frightened. There had also been another Olympic attack a year or so before. So Tanya's husband 
asked his cousin, Sean Eckert, if he would be Tanya's bodyguard. And you can kind of describe him as a man-child. He was huge. I, I would never pick him to be my yeah. bodyguard. But they had brought it, gotten him just because, like, hey, the, here's this big guy that we know. And it wasn't just just them, but obviously, like, Tanya doesn't have a lot of money. So he's like, hey, let me yeah. ask my cousin to come and help we, you. We can afford him. <laughs> right. Yes. They're You know, they're very worried about it. So a couple of days later, while Nancy's recovering from her in- injury, Tanya would go on and she would actually win the U.S. figure stating skating championship and that secured her for a spot on the 1994 olympic team christy yamaguchi would win second so with the olympics six weeks away the committee would have to decide if they would include nancy or not but again there's no spot for her technically tanya won it and nancy unfortunately had not gotten to compete so they would need to figure out like what are they going to do for this situation like how would they rectify it would they even rectify it and again like we said earlier even if she could have competed a couple of weeks later would she then be able to compete six weeks later at the actual olympics if you did give her a spot i just like can i back up for just a second with this because whether they overtly said it or not what was implied in the media at the time and in subsequent years when this was talked about was that Tanya attacked Nancy. Right. But I th- I think what I heard from you is like Tanya was literally back in the hotel Correct. asleep. And we know that to be true. Yes. And in fact, we know from the YouTube video that it was not Tanya that it attacked her. Right. So I'm assuming some of that came in later and we don't have to necessarily answer how that came in. But like at this point, was that the perception in the media where people at no. this early stage – starting to say anything about Tanya somehow being involved. Nope. Okay. There was so no... even though they had been pitted against each other, yeah. there were not stories flying about like Tanya was somehow involved in this. No. Okay. But it was, the story really was Nancy is the sweetheart. She got hurt by some un, unknown character. We obviously know it wasn't Tanya because she was asleep. And it, they described him as a man. They didn't recognize him at all. But they obviously are not pointing it towards Tanya But they're like, what are we going to do to help Nancy get into the Olympics? Because her shot now has been taken away from her. And she's our sweetheart. We really don't want to send Tanya. Well, and some of this is even just helping me understand Tanya's perspective. I'm just like, that's gross. Like, this is unfortunate. But it wouldn't be any different than if Nancy had been injured during a practice, right? Right. you, You got injured. It happens in professional sports all the time. Go into some sort of semi or professional sports convention and ask them how many of you miss your big shot because of an injury. I guarantee you like a quarter of the room is going to raise their hand. Yeah, it's very – So like why are they even considering this? Like you have your two people. It's very weird and not sure why, but in the end, the committee, they would decide to send Tanya and Nancy to represent the U.S. Olympics. What? Yeah, so not Christy did not even get even though she had gotten second, she was not sent to the Olympics. It was only Nancy the silver medalist, and Tanya. the United States runner-up, was not sent to the Olympics. What? Yeah, it's crazy. I didn't. It's, I forgot it's again, that like, entirely. It, and I'm not saying like anything bad against Nancy. I'm sure in her case, she's like, oh, this is you know, this is great. My shot was taken away. Like someone stole that from me, and they're just giving me it back. But she technically did not earn her place, and we don't know that if she would have skated. She would have earned that's, her that's space. The thing. What if she had had an off night and wouldn't have won it just fair and square? Right. Like, yes, this is awful, but 
like nothing was technically stolen from The other thing you. is, and again, Nancy's a very talented, and there were times that she beat um, Tanya, but actually Tanya had a more like recognized career. And as far as like her, how many times that she had placed, her record was was actually a little bit better than Nancy Kerrigan. There was yeah. definitely some years like they were, you know, right in, like one would lose just below the next one and and kind of vice versa. I, but but overall, Tanya yeah. was doing better. Well, and just back to that mentality that you mentioned earlier about like being favored as America's sweetheart, like where is that coming from? One thing I like about sports, and I'm this is coming from someone that is not very good at sports, but what I appreciate is that it's a meritocracy. You succeed if you have the best statistics. This isn't the best liked club. Right. It's the who does the thing the best club, <laughs> you know? That's what most professional sports are supposed to be. Sitting in Tanya's seat, I, I feel for her a little bit. Like, I want it fair and square. Yes, this awful thing happened, but injuries happen all the time. The circumstances of this one suck. And, like, remember me over here, the person that actually won the fucking championship? <laughs> I That's why no... I said it's super easy to get onto the Tanya train and, like, be like, huh. But Nancy, Nancy really Kerrigan didn't is do, a lovely woman. Yeah, like, she yeah, didn't do anything. Yeah, she didn't to do this. So obviously, this is a highly publicized case. Plus, it's it's the U.S. figure stating. So the FBI actually does get involved, and they immediately launch into investigation to figure out. It happened in a very public, you know, practice arena. Like they were very close to the ice. While there was no one in that hallway, there was probably definitely people in the parking lot. This wasn't hardened criminals that were super smart. So it wouldn't take long for the FBI to figure out this ragtag of morons group. Like, you want to talk about some stupid criminals? This case. I've been dying for stupid is criminals it. episode, yeah. Carla. So. I know. This is it. So first, one of the guys involved was literally bragging to everyone, his family, his friends, a priest, literally anyone that would listen to him, that he was the one that planned it. Then the morons traveled. They flew in their own name to Detroit stayed in a hotel. So it would only take six days for the FBI to arrest none other than Tanya's bodyguard, Sean Eckert. So this is where my recollection of people connecting Tanya to it is coming from. Correct. Okay. Yep. This is how Tanya's name gets involved in this because it's her quote unquote bodyguard that Who she her, already thinks is also a bubba and just like right, get away from right, me. That her that her on and off again husband had assigned to him. So Sean immediately sung like a canary and included Sean Stant, his uncle, Derek Smith, of course, Tanya's on and off again, husband, Jeff Galuli. And according to Sean, him and Jeff were involved in the planning. His uncle drove the getaway car and Shane did the actual attack. A couple weeks later, this is by the 14th, the Olympics committee is trying to debate if Harding would be allowed to compete in the Olympics. Even though, like, she's continuing to deny being involved at all. Do we know what Nancy's sentiment towards Tanya was? I don't think she's saying anything. I bet not. Yeah, I'm I'm sure, like, publicly and diplomatically, like, yeah, she is not. Yeah, she's a wall. Yeah. Um, I had read a story too that the reason that the only reason the Olympics ended up allowing Tanya to continue in the Olympics that year was because she actually sued them for like twenty million dollars if they wouldn't let her compete. Because at that point, she hadn't been arrested. She hadn't been named in the case. There and was you really let, by the way, Nancy come on above your second place winner. Right. There was really no reason for them to hang her back. So while they're debating it, two days later, Jeff Galuli, 
is officially arrested. And Tanya would say, quote, despite my mistakes and rough edges, I have done nothing to violate the standards of excellence in sportsmanship that are expected in an Olympic athlete. Now, her husband begins to sink like a canary, and he begins to implicate Tanya, saying that she was well aware of what was going on and that she was involved in the planning Dear of it. Dear God. He, of course, does this in order to help save himself, and he gets a lesser crime instead of assault. He pleads guilty to racketeering, and he agrees to testify against Harding. While searching the couple's trash, and this is, to me, this is the only piece of evidence that is truly against Tanya. In the trash, they would find a handwritten note of Nancy's practice schedule, and it is later verified that that is in Tanya's handwriting. And they say, like, that is how Tanya planned was like, oh, she'll be practicing at this time. Obviously, I'll be at the hotel asleep. That's really kind of their smoking gun that people have kind of always pointed back to to say that, yes, Tanya did know about it. She was actively involved. I don't know. It's hard to say. I don't know why she would have written down Nancy's practice schedule. Yeah, I don't know why she would have written that down either. Like, I mean, it could have been a note to herself. Like, she could have been on the phone and been like, okay, Nancy's practicing this time. I didn't need to go practice at a later time or I'd like to plan my own schedule. That, that's There's what a million came to reasons. mind for me. Like she really could have been, I was planning to practice that time, but no, Nancy's doing that time. So I need to do before or after. And honestly, a good lawyer would have told her. Argued exactly yeah, that. Yeah, exactly that. So that's kind of what's happening from the legal proceeding. So they've, they've arrested the family members. They've arrested her husband. He's implicated her, but Tanya has not been arrested. She's not been formally charged. Nothing. So the Olympic Committee does have to come back and allow her to compete because she hasn't been convicted yet. They're kind of – their stance, especially after the pursuit of a, of a lawsuit, is, hey, we're going to let it be and, like, we'll figure it out afterwards. Like, we'll just let this play out. Because they can always strip her of the title later. Like, right. if she ends up winning something, they've done that retroactively before. We'll just strip her of her Olympic title. And everyone will bubble up from there. From there, right. So honestly, the diplomatic, like, the good – PR piece of it, I think the Olympic Committee did the right thing. Yes. So February 2nd, the two ladies face off in competition. Nancy would wear the exact same outfit that she was attacked in, definitely sending a message at this point to Tanya. So Nancy says that humor is empowering. That was kind of a badass bitch move, and I appreciate that. You had to imagine at this point, like this is me feeling for Nancy a little bit, all of this to-do has been made over this, and now you have your chance to finally face off with this person. The pressure that I'm sure was on her and the nerves around that, I am sure that there is at least a little bit of truth to she just needed to be able to laugh about it all. <laughs> oh, 100%. This was not a good show for Tanya. Tanya had worked really hard. You know, we talked about like that before when she had competed – she had put on weight, she was smoking, and then she really rededicated her life to skating. Yeah. And I don't know if you remember, it's kind of a little bit infamous. For, so for those of you that have kept up with like skating and, and understand the history of it, her shoelace breaks. So she starts to skate. She's really having problems and she starts to mess up and she stops and goes up to the judges and she's like in tears. She's like pointing at her skate. She's talking about how her shoelace is is broken and can she start again and i think honestly at probably at this point the committee's starting to get a little irritated at tanya like she's now kind of the thorn in their side 
about things. And but they do. They allow her to stop. But by it doesn't matter. Like there's no coming back for her because even after she fixed her shoelace, she says like something wasn't sitting right. Like something was just off about her skate and she could never, even when she fixes her shoelace, she can't get it back. She's already lost her nerve. Plus I can imagine like everything's going on around you. Yeah. Like that's a really high pressured situation. And if you think about Tanya and like her mental state where she already feels like the victim in every scenario, she doesn't feel like life is fair. She doesn't feel like anybody likes her. She she's doesn't have a supportive girl. She's not the golden girl. And then like now all this shit is happening to her. That she feels very defensive and attacked. And she skated that way for sure. Not her best showing. She did not do very good. On the other hand, America's Sweetheart probably skated her best ever. She skated her heart out. And Nancy, you could tell like at the end of it, like Nancy felt like I just gave it everything. I've come back from this you know, injury to Horrible my landing injury, leg. Right. I've been through all of this bullshit. I've, you know, I got here on a miracle essentially and I just skated my ass off. Lo and behold, a 16-year-old Ukrainian, Oksana Bayul, takes the gold. I forgot Oksana was even in this yeah. era. That oh comes out of nowhere and oh. both Nancy and Tanya lose. Now Nancy comes in second. And there's actually some bad press that happens here around Nancy. So as they're waiting for them, you know, they get on the the pedestals to to get their medals. They're waiting. To be to be fair to Nancy, she's exhausted. She really feels like she just skated her ass off and did not win. And she is probably a little bit perturbed. And you have to think again too, like these are Olympic athletes. Competitiveness is in their blood. They That's are right. competitive. They're not like, oh, like hug after the game. No, this is their livelihood. She was probably feeling some kind of a way. She's like, where is she at? I'm ready to get this shit over with. And someone's like, oh, she's still putting on makeup. And she's like, oh, why is she putting on makeup? She's just gonna get out here and cry again. They catch it on camera and on mic. And it makes Nancy look like a shithead. And it's honestly like it's all media over portrayed. Yeah. She was never putting on makeup. They couldn't find the music for Ukraine because obviously... Just like now, Ukraine's been through a lot of things. And so they were looking for like their official country music to play while she was being given the medal. I don't know why they told her that she was getting her makeup on. So it was just kind of like a blown up thing, but it, it did not look good for Nancy, for whatever it's worth. Yeah, I hate that they actually like threw Oksana under the bus there. Right. I'm just like, so wait a minute. The Olympic Committee thought, well, there's no way in hell this Ukrainian girl is going to win. We won't even bother looking up where the music is. Yeah, it, I mean, it, <laughs> like, but somehow, thing. like, yeah, let's blame the teenager. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it's just one more, one more thing. Oh, she's just putting on makeup. It's fine. <laughs> um, so that's kind of how the Olympics end for that. Oh. And evidence after this, like, it just kind of, it's like a little snowball, like starting and just going downhill. And the evidence is really starting kind of to mount on her. We've talked about like their smoking gun is that handwritten note. But all of the parties are turning against Tanya, saying so. Then you've got like you know three or four people against one person. So that's their, you know, quote unquote evidence. And Tanya is just beat. Like she's just beat down. And again, she's never really had anyone in her corner. So she does officially plead guilty to the charge of conspiracy to hinder prosecution. She ends up receiving three years probation and is slapped with a $160,000 fine. In her first public comment about the attack, this is what Tanya says. 
quote, I had no part in the planned assault on Nancy Kerrigan. I am responsible, however, for failing to report things I learned about the assault when I returned home for nationals. So Tanya's story is and has always been, has never changed, is that when she returned home from nationals, she heard the morons talking about the situation and she found out what happened. But there was no way she was going to go and And retroactively, what would it have done? She was, there was no way that she was going to admit it. Of course, you know, their story is that she's always been involved. And she was like, I was never involved in it. I never wanted them to hurt Nancy. I've beaten Nancy before. I could have, I could have beat her then. Like, I didn't need to do this. There's no, it doesn't make any sense. Like, why would I have done this? And I, I don't disagree. Like, I don't know why Tanya would have necessarily been motivated to do something like this. I don't know what was in Tanya's brain. So I do think that the practice letter, like it doesn't look good, right? If I'm being real, it's not a it's not a good look. When I look at it from the perspective of like in a criminal case, right, that would never prove to me as a juror beyond a reasonable doubt. There are a, a thousand. I used to do that all the time. At, I remember when I would have to go look at what my shift was when I was a supervisor at Panera Bread. I would go back and like sometimes I'd write down someone's schedule because like I'd actually want to switch with them. There's a bunch of different reasons that she could have done that and I don't think that would ever survive under like the weight of criminal prosecution no, I would in have a never, million years. That I would have never, never pleaded against her. No. Though I get it. She's – the FBI is interrogating them too. Like this is an e- – so I'm sure it was very scary. It's probably a lot easier. She obviously didn't get jail time. But I think the thing that probably impacted her the most, and I think at one point in time that the FBI asked her, like, how much money did she have? And she was like negative $129. So I will say like the $160,000 fine was huge for her. Yeah. She just didn't have that kind of money. I don't know how she ever paid it. I don't know if she did pay it. Um, also 500 hours of community service is a, t- a ton of hours for someone who is poor and you know, it was waitressing on the side of Ru- – I can't imagine an, a U.S. Olympic in one hand and waitressing on the other. Yeah. It's it's just such a weird place for like what I imagine for like U.S. Olympics. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know very many U.S. Olympics, but in my mind, that's not what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're an Olympian from one of the um, more popular famous sports, you probably are golden, right? Because you've got sponsorships coming out figure, the wazoo. But figure skating at that time was pretty huge too. But she wasn't the it girl, right? Getting yeah, all the sponsorships. True. And that's really where it comes from. Like when you look at um, – I'll give you another example in the music arena, right? Kelly Clarkson, original Mar- American Idol, sold – 50 million records worldwide carrie underwood winner from season what was it three um of american idol which one of them do you think has the higher net worth i would guess kelly clarkson no i carrie underwood by like four times that's crazy i would never and, have guessed and it's that. all because of sponsorships she's this beautiful blonde country girl that yeah. looks perfect i mean she is picture perfect for a magazine she she just had the vibe of america's sweetheart and Simon Cowell even predicted it when she won. He was like, not only were you going to win the show early in the competition, you're going to win it. You're going to sell more records and get more deals than anyone that ever wins this show. And by the way, he's been right so far. So right or wrong, there was a difference between how Nancy Kerrigan was perceived, not just by the American people, but because of that, by all of the sponsors of this stuff. 
Tony wasn't making any money because there wasn't any more to give. They were giving it all to Nancy and yeah. Oksana Bayul. And it, it is, it, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it is very crazy. And it wasn't just a few months after that that the championship title of 1994 is revoked. And then they actually ban her from the U.S. figure skating um, forever. Kind of hinder prosecution. Even if it's like this after fact is like what she agreed to. They still banned her. And I think that's the, the thing that so probably – So she doesn't even get to like claim – She can't compete. She can't claim it and she can never in any type of a U.S. competition. Wow. Now, I would say that there's probably ways to like get around. You probably could go overseas. You probably do things. But you have to remember like Tanya is not a small town girl, but she's just – that's not her life. I don't think that's ever going to be her life. And probably at that time, she's ready to get out of the spotlight. Do we know how Nancy – more modern day feels about all this like yes. what's her what's her commentary on it these days so in a 2017 interview kerrigan says quote we were at an event four years after i was attacked but we didn't really speak to each other so it was very awkward and strange when the interviewer asks if she ever got an apologies from harding kerrigan responds quote not a direct does it even matter at this point Okay. So to Nancy, she says, no, Tanya has never done it. Now, 10 years prior to that, almost 10 years prior to that, in a 2009 interview, Tanya Harding actually tells Oprah Winfrey, if she'd let me, I'd love to give her a hug. You know, I tell her how proud of her, like I am of her and like being able to go forward with her life and like that she's done great things. But yeah. um, it is kind of interesting that even all these years later – and in one of the documentaries that I watched, Kerrigan kind of talks about it. And she says, for her, this was like one moment in her shining career. However, this has been like the moment that people talk about in her whole career. She's very buttoned up, almost like a politician. But I honestly think she's just not a very emotional person. And I think she does at some point say something like, she's not very emotional. And so she's like, I, I'm good. Like, I'm over it. I'm the victim. But yet somehow also people don't kind always, of forget that piece of it you also don't always want to like victim or victor like i don't know that any of us want to be defined by any single moment in our lives right even my best moments i don't want that to be the only thing that's left on the table at my funeral like that's not what i desire whatsoever so i get like a little bit of nancy's desire to be like that's not what i want i don't want everyone focusing on this one thing when we did the It's Britney Bitches episode, she talks a lot about that. Like, why is there so much focus? I've done all of these things in my life. I've done world tours. I've won a Grammy. I've won all of these different – but everyone wants to talk about right. <laughs> this little piece of my life. That's right. And I, I – all I'm saying is I get why Nancy, even regardless of whether people perceive her as being buttoned up about it, she did go on to have a shining career. I would want people to focus on my whole career, not just this one piece that got media frenzied into oblivion. I will say that Tanya is the only one out of this situation that didn't serve any jail time. Um, Galuli did. He, did, of course, he was did a plea agreement, and yeah. um, he was sentenced to two years. And he did publicly apologize. And some of his, you know, ragtag they served somewhere between like six months and two years, depending on what they did. Everything that you've seen. Carla, mm -hmm. like, what's what's your opinion? What do you think? Like, what do you think Tanya's involvement, if any, was? It's hard. I, it's hard to say. Like, there's moments that I believe she knew something, um, and I do think she knew afterwards because I mean, she admitted that. 
I'm not sure that she really like had much of the planning piece of it. I also just don't know that she, I, I don't know. I just can't imagine that type of like personality that she would plan that out because she is so kind of fiery and, and things like that. That being said, though, there's definitely comments that she makes that's kind of like, woe is me and like the world is against me. And I can imagine a young, I mean, you'd think like they're still pretty young. They're like in their early 20s at this point, you know, so so maybe like succumbing to that those feelings, um, maybe like on a drunken night. I, I don't know, like maybe there might have been some culpability there. I do think that she has tried to turn herself around. So like, in today's world, she did have a little bit of of trouble. Um, she got arrested um, for a DUI. She did try to commit suicide. She actually was arrested for trying to commit suicide for an attempt. I didn't realize you could be arrested. I didn't for realize that. that either. But um, she tried to commit suicide. She did like huh. celebrity boxing in two thousand two with against Paula Jones yeah. from the Clinton yeah scandal. But in two thousand ten, she wed Joseph Price, and she'd always wanted to be a mom. She wanted to give a child the love in life that she didn't feel like she has and she had a child and she says that truly like she's moved on from that that she's really happy she actually works as a custodian for two different businesses and says that like she really is living a happy and full life a couple years ago margot robbie starred as her in i tanya it's a great movie by the way like and it's it's not far off either from and the character, the actress that plays Lavanya is like spot on. Margot Robbie plays an amazing Tanya Harding and because she was beautiful. I mean, she's still beautiful in her own way now, but like she really was a very beautiful young lady. Nancy retired in 1994. She retired early and she's married and living her life with her children. And she got added to the you know Hall of Fame. She's a big component. Um, and they actually said that... Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding, this rivalry and then Nancy's assault is it sparked huge popularity for U.S. figure skating, that it's actually what put it on the map. People all of a sudden were very interested in wanting to watch it. And I can remember watching it in the 90s. It's an incredible sport. It really is. Like it's um, I think the gymnast in me appreciates it for many of the same reasons that I do. It's just they're very demanding sports. I feel the same about figure skates. Like you're literally yeah. dancing on a razor's edge that is like a quarter of an inch thick. It's insane. And doing flips and twists and all of this. And I hate that this is what had to do it. But I'm also really glad that it put people's focus on such an incredible sport. So funny enough, speaking of dancing, both of them were on Dancing with the Stars. Nancy Kerrigan was in 2017 yeah. and she made it to week 17. She made it far in. Tanya did it in 2018. Funny that they didn't put them in the same years. She did it in 2018. She made it to third. Wow. Yeah. So she got really far off. She got really far off. Uh, she got really far. far yeah. Um, but yeah, it. I mean, so I'll tell you something interesting too. Just as this is a nosy bitch side comment. Interesting about Nancy. So Nancy's husband, apparently there's like this big story that Nancy and her husband were having an affair. He was married with kids. And while she had, like, America's sweetheart, she was having an affair. And his ex-wife would come out and say, like, she broke up by marriage. And then she married him and left a wife and children behind in her wake. And no one reported on it. Now, Nancy swears that 
their relationship didn't happen until after he was separated and things like that. But it, again, it's it's interesting, and I have said this a million times about some of these cases, especially in the 90s, especially about women, like how different the media and the portrayal and the story is behind it. It's when they've decided you're the good guy, you're the good guy. And when you've decided you're not, yeah. then you're not. And I just, it, it's fascinating. And I don't know that I'm convinced at the end of this that Tanya did anything directly wrong, but I'm also not completely convinced, like on the opposite side, that Nancy's some angel, right? right. Like, no let's one not... is it all good or bad. Well, and so my little theory, my twisted theory behind this, which may or not be true, like I'm literally going to go and see what some people think about this. I liked what you said earlier about the husband and his Bubba cousin or whomever became yeah. her bodyguard are really in it to ride the coattails of success here. And so if I follow that argument, you know, I see a motivated athlete that is young and dumb enough to maybe not notice that some other people are trying to move some cogs in the clock. You're yes. took advantage of it because it would get out of the way one of the major barriers to this relative becoming successful, which then lines their own pockets. Like for me, that motivation is not hard to get to at all. And it's people taking advantage of this young athlete who does have a chip on her shoulder. So like for me, I, I don't know. There is a part of me that as I'm saying that is like, now does that mean that at some point maybe Tanya didn't overhear something, maybe even before it happened and just chose not to interfere because she also thought the outcome would be advantageous? I don't know. That's for, you know tanya to deal with before she goes to sleep at night and looks in the mirror before she goes to bed but my summation is it seems like the people more likely to try to take advantage of that situation were the people riding her coattails i 100 percent agree that like whether or not she has some culpability maybe she did plead guilty to something i, I feel like her culpability is out there she suffered but i do think that there probably is some strong positioning that if they completely did this on their own and she is completely innocent and never knew anything about it, if her story is 100% accurate, that that was exactly their motivation. They're yeah. like, you know what we could do? We could take Nancy out. Um, and again, like they were, you know, a bunch of drunk, fumbling buffoons. Yeah. Maybe even in a way he thought he was doing this in a way to help Tanya or to show Tanya how much he loves her. In his, you know, weird, sick way because she had refocused her life. She was doing better. I believe she probably would have left him again if she wasn't already in the verge of leaving him. And they were so off and on again. That's the other thing is like they were so off and on again. I'm not a, I'm not always convinced that like she was around enough to have even. And she's kind of said a few things towards that too that she was barely around. She was barely there enough for him to have found out anything it just yeah i mean like from your relationship there's nothing about it that made me feel like they were some bonnie and clyde like dynamic duo of crime right her and her <laughs> and her husband is bubba like right bodyguard guy like it it just feels an awful lot like them scapegoating because that was the the easier more sensational thing to say i i don't know doesn't really matter now. It seems like both women have moved on. And I like that we're like on a story yeah, where like no one, no one died. No one even got seriously we're kicking, injured. Yeah, we're kicking. And they're in their 50s. So, yeah. I mean, we talked about like moving into our 40s that like we're getting comfortable with ourselves. Like they're 
they're situated. They're way past it. They were saying that like they're happy and things like that. Let me tell you who the real enemy is. The real enemy is the U.S. Figure Skating Committee because – and probably the Olympic Committee because of the fact they truly are nasty sometimes to these young kids as they are. I didn't talk about it here, but like they they said some things. You know, obviously Tanya did not have a lot of money and she mentioned that her mom had made some of her costumes. She had made some of her costumes and they would make remarks about it. And like these costumes were thousands of dollars. And she's like, if you want me to wear something else, like you buy it. I don't have the money to buy this. And to me, that's sad. They should be representing our country and don't have the money to buy their own costumes. And honestly, like, what does it matter? Like, why would a committee member even say anything like that? Like, that's truly ugly. I well, and I'm just like, so annoyed that they're like, looking at the costume instead of the talent of the athletes that are out there, because that's the work that they've put in. For most of these people, in fact, if anything, in that instance, Tanya should be getting extra points because for most of those athletes, it is my sponsor was able to buy it or because I'm already so wildly successful and have won lots of competitions and I'm wealthy now, I can afford to buy it. They haven't had to put work into it. Right. So they can focus more fully on their craft. All they have to think about is I want the costume to kind of look like this. Tanya had to be like, cool, I want it to kind of look like that. Now I got to figure out how I can afford the fabric and I got to sew it or edit it myself and do all – like, what? Yeah. <laughs> That's she, dedication, girl. Yeah, I do appreciate that she was a rebel. Like, I do think back on those things. Like, I can appreciate the rebel in Tanya. can appreciate the badassery of someone who played ACDC and, you know, lived her own life. And also just honestly, the pure talent of all of those women involved, Chrissy Yamaguchi, Oksana Bayul, Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding, like they were some very talented women that paved the way one way or another. I hate that they stripped her title, totally understand why they did it, but she still earned it. It's just kind of silly, but it does seem like all in all 2024, we started off on no murder, a little bit of mayhem, but it's such an interesting story. And so many of the facts people don't remember that like Tanya wasn't the one that did it. Yeah. That Nancy like didn't have her leg shattered or broken. Like she never skated again. Like she did. She actually competed in the Olympics six weeks later. Yeah. She, and both of them lost to Oksana Bayul. They were moving on to, you know, their Ukraine sweetheart. And Chrissy Yamaguchi, really the true hero of the story, she got left behind even though she had made second and didn't get to go. To the I, US, I forgot to the that detail entirely. What a and luckily she went on to have a very very illustrious career, career, so yeah. it was fine. But it just like I don't know. Ooh, random because these things pop in my head. Do you know what other fee, uh, famous female athlete and it is a current female athlete makes part of their own uniform? No, I should say artist, I guess. And I don't know, like, because ice skating feels like it crosses that line too so misty copeland the ballet dancer so because she is i think half black or maybe she anyway she's african-american descent somewhere along the way most dance shoes only come in what they call i just watched an interview with her in european pink I so, did just see this. So I know exactly what you're talking about. So in order to make her shoes look like her own skin color she custom dyes yes and i didn't know this too she will go through and most famous like dancers do, they will go through multiple sets of dance yep. shoes per practice. She was like, I will eat through a pair of these in two to three hours. So I'm having to custom dye my own shoes 
two pairs of them a day. What a <laughs> missed opportunity for well, some companies she did say are now some companies are starting to do it for people of color. But yeah, that's crazy. What I found interesting, the way she talked about it, it was like it almost gave her more grit. You know, yes. I've got to do this on my own. And I wonder if Tanya felt a certain way about that, too, by the end of like, you know what? I had to really lean into this, damn it. You know, I will <laughs> say, so a little update, too, about Lavanya and her. Like, they don't have a relationship. They're completely estranged. Oh, so they don't She doesn't now. have anything to do with her God, son. so that never got better. No, it never got better. And part of it is truly that Lavanya never would admit to, in her mind, she loved her. And that she took she care just of her. She pushed her, put pressure. She put pressure on her. Life is not sunshine and daisies. She worked hard. She didn't have a – and that she provided for Tanya even though Tanya loved her other parent more. Yeah. Right? Quote, unquote, more. That Lavanya is the one who sacrificed and did a lot of things for her and was the breadwinner because her, her father was out ill. And Tanya just never could get over the things that had happened in her childhood. And I do think yeah. that her mom really was horrible. And there's probably like 20%, right? Is it capital T true? Mm -hmm. Probably somewhere, you know, in between lowercase. There's probably some nuggets of truth. We <laughs> do have some cool things coming up this year. So I have recently contacted somebody on TikTok who shared her mother's story. Yeah. My mom are going to do some research on it and get to interview her so all with her permission. Um, we have some good things on our backlog. It's been kind of a a busy month for true crime. Gypsy Rose Blanchard got yeah. out of prison. There was some stuff that's kicked around from Epstein, though I feel yeah, like it's I, really you and blown. I talked about that. I don't know how you nosy bees feel about this, but I feel like it was a, just a non-list. Like, it was a big to-do about nothing. Yeah, I want a real list. When I just want more, like, I, you and I talked about this. Like, it, it just felt like you just reiterated stuff that we already knew that had come out piecemeal, and this just affirmed some of that stuff. But there was, there was no new scandal here. None of these names were new. I want to and none of them Madison were specific hack. to actual bad acts. It was this person's second cousin came over to his mansion this one time and had pate in his kitchen. Yeah, oh. I want an Ashley Madison hack with an Excel sheet that I can look. I want to see where they were at. How like I want an Excel breakdown. Carla's gonna know their social security yeah, number I by the end know, of it. Like, were they at Rape Rapist Island? Like, right. I want to understand how they are connected to the story. Were they just like brought up in passing? Like, hey, do you know somebody? Because some people's names that showed up on that list were like, oh, have you ever seen him with like Michael Jackson, for example? And it's like, yes. Well, was he ever around kids? No. I don't care. Then, One like, of them give was like, me. Did you ever spend time on his private jet? Yes, I've been on his private jet twice. And they tried to make it sound like it was a ton. They were like, he uses his private jet like 400 times a year. I was very disappointed. Yeah. They said that they're going to be releasing it over the next 30 days. By the time I get done, there someone, it might have to be me. I need an Excel sheet and someone to go through this with me. And we're going to <laughs> there you go, knock Carla. it down. Is... <laughs> there's, a, there's some fun stuff coming in 2024. So I hope you guys stick with it. Stick with us. As always, you guys know where you can reach us on our socials, Nosy Bees on Instagram and Facebook. And you can email us too if that's more your speed. Although I just find that lots of them don't do it. But I like doing the email. So you can email us at nosybeesforlife at gmail.com. That's N-O-S-E-Y-B-E-E-S, the number four, life at gmail.com. But until next time, bitches. Bye. Bye. Hey, you made it to the end of the podcast. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. And... I know that we've given a lot of our unsolicited feedback, but at the end of the day, it's also important that we remember to stay kind, 
Stay curious. But of course, stay nosy. Bitches. Bitches.